The Mitchell's Front Page Podcast is brought to you by Geelong Bank. Listen live on 94.7 The Pulse, Mondays and Tuesdays from 9 till 11. Political analyst Terry Barnes. Terry, good morning. Uh, Good morning, Mitchell. Well, obvious question. How do you react to the news and how are you feeling this morning? Oh, ho-hum, to be honest with you. I I don't think it's going to make a jot of difference to the prospects of the Liberal Party in the next state election. Uh, I have nothing against Matthew Guy, nor do I have anything against Michael O'Brien. But uh, trying to be an opposition leader during a pandemic where you've got a a Premier who's so good at... uh, controlling the narrative and can basically sucking oxygen away from anybody who criticizes him and that includes in his own party as well as his political or party or parliamentary opponents i mean michael o'brien didn't stand a chance and i don't think matthew guy will stand a chance either and to be honest matthew guy is coming back to the leadership with a lot of baggage from his last time around so i, I think it's a problematic thing uh, the liberal party has failed to really address the underlying problems with itself its failings and its failures Uh, in policy, in politics, in terms of personnel in the parliament, in terms of personnel in the organisation. You know, this is putting lipstick on a pig in so many ways, uh, with all due respect to both Matthew Guy and Michael O'Brien. Yeah, the the baggage that comes with Matthew Guy, I think, is going to be an issue. The first thing is being planning minister. That seems to be the poison chalice, a bit like being the immigration minister in a federal government. And then you've got uh, the lobster with a mobster situation and of course uh, just the fact that he lost the 2018 election by such a big margin so that's already three things that are working against him well that's exactly right and uh, and, and labor won't let him forget the, the um, lobster with a mobster dinner I mean, it was an error of judgment on his part but it was also something that was actually beyond his control but that's not you know that's not what people are going to remember that's what not that's not what the Labor Party is going to drive. That's certainly not what Daniel Andrews is going to remind people of. The reality is that Matthew Guy came back uh, because there was nobody else available of any talent or capacity to do it. Uh, and Michael O'Brien took on the leadership after uh, the Matthew Guy 2019 campaign because, again, there was nobody left standing of sufficient seniority and talent to do it. Uh, this is the problem that the, the parliamentary Liberal Party has. It's not the leader and the leadership as much as the fact that uh, we've got a bunch of has-beens and mediocrities in there and very few people of talent and promise. So the challenge for them now going into the 2022 election is to, I suppose, recruit good talent to stand good candidates, particularly in some of those what used to be safe seats that they can win back to really bolster the numbers and get some more voices in there. That's correct. But they, I think they also missed the opportunity to tap a few people on the shoulder after the last election result and, and, and actually make way in seats that are, are held, let alone winnable, uh, for people of uh, promise and talent uh, and, and both of both both genders, uh, but, but certainly people who have had a bit of life outside Parliament and are not there simply to draw the salary and, and do, you know, enjoy the perks of opposition. Actually, being an opposition M- MP in many ways is is great fun because you have... Uh, all care and no responsibility. Uh, um, and, uh, you know, if you want to be an MP doing nothing, it's a great way of being one. And uh, I think, unfortunately, in terms of the uh, the, you know, the state opposition, uh, mainly the Liberal Party, but not probably the Nats as well, um, there are too many people who are passengers, who are not workers, who believe that uh, social media memes and, and, and smart Alec comments on in Facebook and Twitter 
are a substitute for hard policy work. And, and people with real genuine policy brains are few and far between in that party room. The Daniel Andrews issue and the way that he controls the narrative and keeps the focus on him and detracts from his criticizers. One of the things I notice he says a lot in media conferences is that person or anyone that criticizes me has no relevance to the work that I do. Do you think that's a good strategy? Maybe it works in the short term, but in the long run, do people look and, and think, well, you know, maybe some of these people are raising some legitimate concerns and by saying they have no relevance, it's sort of like he's above them and I don't know, maybe he's got too much power and too many numbers there that he doesn't need to worry about any critique in terms of how he's handling things. Well, he's of the school of thought that uh, in, in politics that you don't mention your opposition, you don't give them oxygen, you don't give them relevance or air. And that's great. I mean, if you're a, a successful leader on top and master of all you survey, and at the moment he, he largely is. But uh, as we know from uh, the handling of the pandemic and particularly hotel quarantine last year, um, there is a lot that he should be accountable for. There is a lot that he can be attacked on in, in, a, in a political sense, in an electoral sense. And uh, and certainly the fact that uh, six lockdowns have exhausted Victorians, but also exhausted, I think, the patients of um, small and medium businesses, who are, uh, many of whom are going to the wall, um, should be an opportunity for the Liberals to to get back in the game. But they actually can't do it simply by being smart alecky on Twitter. Uh, they have to actually do some hard policy work. They have to actually show that they've got a vision for the future that goes beyond the pandemic, Victoria. And we're talking about a Victoria that's probably going to need some Jeff Kennett-type medicine, not simply because of the damage the pandemic has done, but because uh, we've got a high-spending, debt-obsessed uh, infrastructure-building government uh, at, uh, that since 2014 that uh, uh, has been spending, particularly in recent years, like there's no tomorrow. And uh, and, and, and I think the other thing that uh, the, the Liberals should be doing is highlighting the fact that um, in, in many ways, although Victoria has increasingly become a left of centre state rather than a right of centre state, um, the progressive agenda of some in the Labor Party, and particularly some in the, federal, in, the, in the parliamentary state Labor Party, is actually far to the left of uh, what would be considered mainstream in Victoria, whether, whether it be, uh, um, you know, gender changes on birth certificates or safe schools or whatever it happens to be. So, uh, but they have to do more than just, just complain and whinge. They actually have to come up with solid alternatives. And Michael O'Brien, to his credit, uh, at various stages uh, since uh, the pandemic began, tried to do that. But uh, often he was drowned out by his own his own members, uh, you know, seeking attention on, on social media or going to 2GB in Sydney to, to rant about Daniel Andrews. So I, I feel sorry for Michael. I think he did his best in a very difficult situation, but he, he's a he's a decent man, uh, as is Matthew Guy, to be fair. Um, O'Brien's a decent man who plays by the Marquis of Queensby rules against people who absolutely tore up the rule book years ago. Now, tell us about that social media aspect, because I think Daniel Andrews uses social media in a very smart way, and clearly the people behind the scenes, the communications team, uh, are doing a great job, it would seem, and they're also, I think, setting the blueprint for how future politicians use social media. I know um, Daniel Andrews has one style, and it seems like I'm watching this. A number of uh, other MPs and other politicians are copying the style that Daniel Andrews almost crafted himself. Um, so how do you compare the use of uh, social media by the respective parties and uh, the opposition and the government? Well, I think to be, you know, to be first and foremost, uh, uh, Daniel Andrews benefits from having a large media personal staff in his 
private office and a large media staff, including uh, digital and social media uh, specialists. And uh, they're very good at uh, crafting memes and crafting crafting a narrative online and uh, building up uh, uh, Facebook and Twitter followings, particularly, and but also Instagram and other other social media. But um, but on the other side. Uh, you had people like Tim Smith, uh, people like Bernie Finn popping up with their with their comments and their, their jibes uh, about the government, uh, which are uh, very smart when you type them, but uh, don't necessarily uh, come across to uh, you know, mainstream middle-of-the-road voters as uh, showing that uh, you actually have a sensible way of looking at the problems uh, confronting Victoria, the challenges that the state faces. And uh, until, I think... Uh, uh, the opposition realises that you just can't uh, govern or sort of compete by making complaint, uh, that you actually have to do the hard work to craft a, a viable program, a viable alternative that people actually are attracted to by in one way or another. How do you uh, rein in some of those characters? Because I know Daniel Andrews runs a very tight ship, particularly when it comes to the media that his people do, and I believe all the media requests have to go through the Premier's office. Um, is that going to be the way that the opposition runs? And if someone says, I want to go on 2GB in Sydney, they'll be told no. Well, that's the way it should have been run under Michael O'Brien. If there was any criticism of the way he did things, it was the fact that he couldn't rein in people like Tim Smith who wanted to do their own thing, or he couldn't rein in people like Bernie Finn who are very keen to talk about the Richmond Football Club but not necessarily about their own constituencies. Um, it's it's very important, I think, that, uh, um, that uh, there's a bit of unity, a bit of discipline. I think it's up to Michael O'Brien, who must be feeling it very hard this morning, uh, to to play his part in doing that and bringing uh, the party together, both at the parliamentary level and the and the organisational, the rank and file levels as well. If uh, you've, you've actually got to uh, ensure that there is some discipline and people are actually seeing that the team is disciplined and in fact that the team is indeed a team. Do you have any thoughts on shadow cabinet? I mean, there'll have to be a reshuffle after this. Where do you put people like Tim Smith in that shadow cabinet? Are there any portfolios that you think he'd particularly lend himself to? Um, well, I think I think Matthew Guy has to channel a bit of Abraham Lincoln, you know, in terms of malice towards uh, none and justice for all. Um, and that means bringing in the best and brightest of the team into key roles, Um and not uh, simply your allies or your factional, uh, you know, factional companions and colleagues, or, or um, you know, doing it on the basis of uh, other characteristics like gender, for instance. Um, I think you just need to have the best and, and most talented people in there doing the jobs. In terms of portfolios, um, David Southwick was elected deputy leader, so I guess he gets his choice of portfolio. And if he wants shadow treasurer, I guess that's his as well. Uh, Louise Staley. Uh, um, did did the job, but uh, she didn't cut through uh, with the public and he didn't cut through in Parliament. So um, they, they need people who are, are capable, full, full stop. I mean, anything beyond that, I think, are secondary considerations. Um, how does Matthew Guy get the balance right going forward? This morning uh, when he emerged from that leadership meeting, he spoke about the need to heal and bring Victorians together, uh, which sounds nice, but will he actually follow through with that? How do you get the balance right between being, as an opposition leader, critical of the government, holding them to account, critiquing, but then also providing that positive alternative? Well, as I said, I mean, uh, it's, it's, uh, there's plenty of ammunition for the uh, opposition to hold the government to account, but as I as as I also said before, it's important that the opposition uh, demonstrates to the Victorian community 
that has a, a forward-looking positive vision based on uh, traditional liberal values, so in terms of smaller government, lower taxation, more personal responsibility, and uh, and, and and a focus on and community service, uh, then. Um, uh, and, and, and actually, in my view, I think they should be developing a manifesto, not a fight back type manifesto, but something broad, sufficiently broad to show that we're not, you know, it, the opposition, is not simply about uh, complaining, about carping, about whinging and, and doing the, you know, if you like, the default lazy uh, critiquing of government, say, say with hospital waiting lists in the health portfolio, for instance, but actually showing they have a vision to, to keep the health system sustainable for the next 15, 20 years with generational and, uh, and community change. I mean, that's, uh, that sort of forward looking vision, I think, has been lacking from oppositions on both sides at all levels for a long time. But, uh, but I think with a bit of imagination, a bit of leadership and a bit of, uh, drawing on such talents that they have in the parliamentary party and in the wider liberal party. And I'm thinking of the, you know, the person I think could have been leader and should have been leader had he not uh, lost his seat in 2019. John Pizzuto is one of the best uh, policy minds that uh, they had. Um, drawing those sort of people in to, to work on uh, a policy plan to show that uh, the opposition has has a vision. It's not just there to try and um, uh, win government by default. I think that's what they need to do. And uh, and that includes, as I said, all hands to the pump. And that uh, certainly does include Michael O'Brien and his uh, key supporters. Yes, we've had uh, John Pesuto here in the studio before, and I think he'd be... Um yeah, wonderful additions. I don't know if he's got plans to recontest the seat of Hawthorne or how it's going to go, but um, he would be perhaps someone that they could bring back in. Well, certainly you'd have to ask John himself about that. But uh, And certainly uh, uh, yeah, there have been rumours swirling, but I don't want to speak for him. But, uh, but uh, my sense is that had he held his seat of Hawthorne, in 2019, he would be would have been the opposition leader after the election because after Matthew Guy stepped down, uh, there was only one, as I said, solid alternative to 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 uh, go to at that time, and that was Michael O'Brien. And uh, and to give him credit, he he did the best he could in very difficult circumstances. But uh, of course, on a day like today, nobody gives uh, the deposed opposition leader any credit at all, do they? No, just more broadly and talking about the government for a little bit, how do you think we're going as a state in terms of our response to COVID-19, particularly given the latest, I would call it pivot from Daniel Andrews last week, where we were obviously obsessed about driving those cases down to zero. They've conceded that's highly unlikely now and the cases are ratcheting up and new case numbers in the uh, hundreds now and hopefully not in the thousands, but it does seem like we're on that trajectory. I'm just wondering what your thoughts are in terms of how that's uh, played out and also the prospect. I suppose that Melbourne has to come to terms with being in lockdown until probably November. Well, uh, first things first. Um, in, a, in my wider professional role, in the last recent weeks, I've been uh, working uh, uh, with uh, an institution dealing with the COVID outbreak and working closely with people from the, the Andrews government and certainly the, the COVID response team, uh, who've done an outstanding job and are doing an outstanding job um, in what you know in terms of doing whatever they can to stop the spread of COVID and to uh, control the, the consequences of that. Um, but uh, I think uh, uh, Daniel Andrews made an inevitable and necessary switch from focusing on zero COVID to uh, getting the numbers as low as possible and being prepared to live with the virus, as Gladys Berejiklian has been forced to do. And I think she was more inclined to do it anyway in, in New South Wales. Um, yes, it is a pivot. I think that's a very good word. Um, you know, 
it's up to the electorate to judge whether it was a, uh, a move that was dictated by common sense or dictated by politics. And certainly one of the things that uh, has emerged uh, in recent months is the extensive polling that uh, the Victorian government has commissioned to, to help guide its uh, its COVID decision-making. So um, if Daniel Andrews was being sensitive to public opinion, particularly around lockdown fatigue, um, then again, he shows he's he is a political animal who will do whatever it takes to to, to maintain his uh, political dominance. But I think in this case, he actually made the right call for Victoria. I think that's probably right, and it is a, a tough outlook, I think, in Melbourne, but I suppose we're just hoping that maybe it is the darkest before the dawn. I think that was a line the Prime Minister used, and maybe uh, in November when we get to 80%, we can sort of start to put things behind us, maybe not go back to the way things were, but to have some hope that we won't be locked down, because I think here in Victoria, uh, well, we're probably the most locked down jurisdiction in the world in terms of the total amount of time, or we will no, be by no, November. No, we, no? we will be by, by September 23rd, the date that the, that the Premier actually indicated that we could look at some easing of restrictions uh, was the date that I think Melbourne passes Buenos Aires as the most locked down city in the world. So we're, we're on track to a record. We should be proud of that. We should be actually proud that we're, we're the most locked down city in the world, that we've actually got Mel, you know, joking aside, that we've actually been resilient enough to get through it. That's true. Um, but uh, I think uh, uh, people are looking for hope now. They're looking for a return to some semblance of normality. I think the Prime Minister, actually, Pedrally, has got that message. And uh, while uh, people are saying, well, he's just getting on the Gladys Berejiklian bandwagon, I think he's actually really has appreciated that uh, people are over this, that uh, um, those who wanted to stay under the doona, and I think that's many, many, many Australians. And my view is that uh, we can talk about uh, uh, leaders like Daniel Andrews or particularly Mark McGowan and Anastasia Palaget who are still art eliminationists um, doing what they're doing and saying what they're saying but uh, in a sense the people enable them to do that because that's what uh, that's what uh, the great uh, you know, bulk of the population in those states and I think until recently it was the same in Victoria but but now that is changing here. Uh, Andrews is sensitive to that. I think uh, I think uh, Michael O'Brien was, and I suspect that Matthew Guy is. And uh, as uh, some Liberal uh, Guy supporters have been pointing out, uh, Matthew has been at home homeschooling his children, dealing with lockdown after lockdown, just like most other Victorians. So um, at least he has some understanding of the realities of uh, of uh, lockdown life. Whereas Michael O'Brien. Uh, much more private in his uh, the way he protect his family and uh, and I don't think uh, I don't think that's a bad thing actually but uh, but you know Matthew Guy is, is clearly going to make a virtue of his uh, family situation in terms of his political approach and 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 really I think Daniel Andrews has done much the same as well um, and so I don't say I don't think it's game on as I said at the out at the start of this interview I don't think uh, the leadership change is going to make much difference at all. Uh, to the to the election result next year, unless the Liberal Party addresses more than just uh, who's who's in charge, but addresses all its fundamental flaws and failings. Just quickly to finish, I do have to ask: What happened in Buenos Aires? Did they just have a massive outbreak that they had to contain, or were there troubles getting the vaccination, or what happened? Why did they have such a long lockdown? Well, look, I, I think this is one one time where I have to admit I don't have a clue because so uh, one of the things that I think. I've noticed about uh, pandemic coverage is we, we tend to know about a lot of what's happening in uh, Western Europe and, uh, and the United States and Canada and as well as the UK. 
and of course uh, Australia and New Zealand, but we don't seem to know much about what's going on in the rest of the world. But clearly, what was happening in Argentina was of of a, of a scope that was similar to what uh, we've been experiencing in Victoria and Melbourne. So, um, but they have been out of it for a little while now. I am aware of that. Uh, but uh, um, but uh, yes, September twenty third is the day that we pass them. So. At the moment, uh, because of the decisions that are currently in place, we are on track to do that. Well, thanks so much for being on the program. Really appreciate your insights on this key day. We'll see what happens in terms of the state opposition from here and how it all plays out, but uh, it's always interesting stuff. Thanks, Mitchell. Thank you, Terry Barnes, their political analyst. Really appreciate him giving us his time today when there's a lot of stuff to analyse. The Mitchell's Front Page Podcast is brought to you by Geelong Bank. Listen live on 94.7 The Pulse, Mondays and Tuesdays from 9 to 11. Or search for Mitchell's Front Page on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or wherever you get your podcasts.